Family, we are uh, beginning our sermon series on the Acts of the Apostles, guys. Um, Really excited about uh, going on this journey with you. We'll probably be going on this journey again. I said this will probably be the the, uh, the longest book we've done yet. Uh, it'll, it'll surpass Genesis, I believe. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. You see Leon passing Bibles out. Um, I want to just encourage you on a couple things at MacAff first. Um, if there's questions to be asked, please feel free to ask them. We want to we equip the saints, uh, so don't, don't feel shy about that. We do that in this body. Also, want to encourage you uh, to come uh, wanting uh, to open up your Bible uh, to look at the scriptures, to get yourself comfortable with being in the text. So if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles here. If you have a Bible, bring your Bible uh, so that we can be opening up the scriptures. Text uh, might or might not be up here. If it is up here, you might want to check it. I could throw some things in there uh, to, to make sure that you're, you're being honest. Uh, so make sure that you are taking your cues from the scriptures, okay, guys? Um, also want to encourage you to be taking notes, to be thinking about uh, taking notes. Now, this particular time of training, um, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a lot of information. You can take notes. Uh, you might want to just listen and maybe grab the notes from online. I might encourage you to do that and maybe take a few uh, if you feel like they're very important. Uh, so this will be a tricky one. But in the future, as we're exposing passages, as we're looking at chunks of the text and trying to see what the Lord is trying to say to us from the authors, we want to really encourage you to, uh, to take notes and to be uh, just to, to allow that to be part of your discipline uh, in the Bible. Okay, guys? Um, I want us to turn to Acts uh, chapter 1 as we begin. And I just want to encourage us with something that I think is very interesting. Notice what he says in, in, verse, um, in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Isn't that interesting? As we talk today, I just want to, I, I want to start by saying, isn't it interesting that he, he's talking in the book of Acts, right, about the works of Jesus. Jesus had just died on the cross and rose from the dead and he's writing about uh, the accounts after all that. And he says, right, that in that first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Isn't that interesting? He says began to do and teach, but Jesus did his whole life <laughs> in that book that he's talking about. You ever think about that? Why does he say that? What do you think is going on there? He's still doing something, right? Yeah. How's he doing it? I want us to really sink in and, and think about that. Think about that. that. That this author is saying all that he began. It reminds me of a, a, a pastor was saying once, it's almost like someone, you know, Rembrandt is painting a picture, Right? And in the middle of it, he says, hey, Jerry, here, man, can you finish this? He goes off and goes get a bagel or something. What would you think? Would you be nervous? Would you think, oh, my goodness, are you kidding me? I can't, I can't do this. There seems to be a posture of humility that has to come when you become a believer. Because God doesn't just give you new birth. He doesn't just make us his people. He gives us his task. And then he says, you're going to be able to do it. I want to propose to you that, yes, he's not done. That, yes, the Holy Spirit is doing something. But the Holy Spirit does something through us. And that's just such humility and joy in the fact Oh, my goodness, the savior of the world who's brought about creation and new creation for some reason is using humans to do the very task that he did. That's the posture of Acts. This book each week should just humble us 
that God has given us an impossible task that only an impossible God can do. That's the whole posture. Now, you know me. You guys have been through many books now with me. And you know we can't just start by exegeting the passage, right? Because you know that's bad Bible study methods. Shame, shame, shame if you thought we were going to just go through verse 1 through 5 today. Okay? So we know that what we have to first do, right, we have to first understand our cultural context. We have to take a little pause, and I always do this, and I was, I was hoping you guys didn't even say, what am I going to ask you to do? Put on your first century glasses, right, and, and put yourself in a mindset of a first century Jew, okay? That's what we have to do, because if you go to this text and you just say, well, oh, man, let me start reading the Bible, you have to understand the, the way that people write in Bel Air it's going to be very different than the way people write in northern Sudan. Okay? And so if you don't understand where the letter came from, what was going on in the letter, what was going on in the culture, what was going on in the people, what was going on in the hearts of the writer, how, who trained the writer, what was the writer's intentions, man, we'll start doing really probably irresponsible things to the text. Okay? So we always have to pause on the first day. And, 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 all, and some would be academic, all right? But we have to because we want to make sure that we're building those healthy Bible study methods. And first, we have to start with understanding our historical context, understanding our genre, understanding our biblical context, understanding our social culture, okay? And then from that, as we have those glasses on and we dive in and we find ourselves thinking like and talking like and being like a first century Jew, or may I even say a first century Greek person, then we can enter into the text and see what God meant to talk to, how he wanted to talk to those believers, and then how we can appropriately apply the passage. Okay, guys? So that's what we're going to do. We'll be in Acts, I think, for around two years. I have around, mm-hmm. Amen. That's what I like. Yes, yeah, I'm a little charismatic. So, um... So I'm really excited about the journey. Um, let's jump right in. Uh, before we can talk about uh, that specific genre, that specific context, I wanted to start by just doing a little review so we can understand where that specific context is coming from, okay? Uh, uh-oh. You on, you've been doing... Okay, I haven't touched this thing. Has it been going while I've been talking? Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay, so first... Uh, I just want to talk about just some general themes of Scripture. Uh, this is hard. I'm not going to... Basically, in a nutshell, when we talk about uh, the Bible, uh, we talk about our, our, our beautiful... We talk about Yahweh, our King, right? Uh, the God of all creation. We would say that the, the general theme of all creation, of why we exist, why, what God is doing, is kind of summed up in the, in the context of, of love and salvation of creation, right? And in all that is because God wants to be glorified. So I wouldn't say one, two. I think that's not response. I don't think that's the, really the biblical picture. It's almost like God is who he is. He deserves all the glory. And what's so cool about God and one of his communicable attributes is that, is that he loves, right? He's that he, his posture is love, right? He moves out of love and he doesn't uh, he's not like motivated and then loves. I love the whole context in the in epistles where it says, for, for, for God's great love, he loved us. I love the sense of like what God does with his people, he loves us in a noun and he verbed us. He loves us in a verb, right? He, he shows it. So that's, so basically the, the, the biblical context of what God is doing is all, he creates us out of love, not because he was bored or because he needed to love something, because he was in perfect harmony with the Trinity, but he creates out of abundance. He just had so much love pouring out of him. That's what he does. He creates out of love, out of the abundance of love. So the whole love and the salvation of creation is kind of the, the biblical narrative that all this is surrounding. And in all that happened, when we, when we see that and understand that God is glorified, he wants to be glorified. When we realize the love that the Father has for us, which is shown through the salvation of us, he is glorified. Okay. So that's basically the picture. A good God, he creates people. We have the audacity to think we can be our own guys. We sin. God should have destroyed us all. He did not. 
He sends his rescuer, even in the midst of us being sin and enemies, to rescue us, Jesus our Lord. Jesus lives a perfect life, right? Lives a life of great deeds, and then he suffers, and he dies on the cross. He's murdered for your sin and my sin. Then God is triumphantly raised from the dead to show that he has victory over death, Satan, sin, and evil, right? And then what he does, he rebirths those who have their trust, their faith, and their confidence in the person and finished work of Jesus, Jesus saves those people, but he's not just saving people. He's going to redeem the whole creation, right? So then Jesus says, well, I should be worshipped by everybody. So what I want you to do, I want you to go tell the world that I should be worshipped. And that's the missional context that we're all in. That we get born again to enjoy God and to make him known so that other people can know him and enjoy him. That's why, we, that's why you live and exist as a believer, and then what God does is he's going to complete what completely make us new that that spiritual reality that we're experiencing right now that Ephesians says will be a physical reality that we will see one day. And part of that physical reality will be the restoration of all creation. That's the theme of scripture. That's where we're headed. That's what we're right in the midst of. And oh, by the way, in all that, Satan is lying to us. Our flesh is trying to kill us. We trying to kill each other. And it's just a mess, right? And that's why he says, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because, man, we look at our sin and our depravity and how we hurt people, and we just go, man, can you just come back and just make it all, make it all just great with no more pain, right? So in a biblical overview, when we think of the things of Scripture, what's happening in a nutshell, when you're reading your Bible— is you're having uh, the 49 books of the Old Testament pointing toward the messianic hope of the Messiah, okay? And that's what's basically happening. It's showing that we have an awesome, good God. It's showing that we're evil, messed up people, and that, man, only a good, gracious God can, serve, can save these kind of people. And then it's, then it's promising that God isn't, he's, he's not saying, yeah, you're right, and I'm going to stand like this. He's saying, only a good God can save us, and I'm that good God, and I'm going to save you. And that's basically the context of the Old Testament. And so why don't you, the people of God in the Old Testament, tell other people about this Yahweh who loves you now in the midst of your sin and is going to save you from your sin eventually and tell them that they can know this God too. That's the Old Testament. The beauty is we, we get to live on this side. Oh man, we take that for granted, don't we? We get to live on the side of our historical Jesus actually living on this earth. All right? It's just not a book, right? This man lived. He walked around. He was mutilated. He was, he was murdered for your sin and my sin. And he, he modeled uh, just miracles to validate that he is actually the Lord. And he does all that and he saves us from our sin. And now we are in this stage of the New Testament, the 27 books. Some of the books that we're reading right now, Acts, one of those books. And what it's doing, it's actually looking backward toward the promises of God, revealed in our Savior Jesus, right? And that's why the scriptures say in Corinthians, that's why um, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ, right? We're not waiting, we're not going, but you said, no, he said, I did it. I did it at the cross, right? So there's Jesus, our center, what he did at Calvary, the triumph of the resurrection. We're here, we have the promises, praise the Lord, we get to enjoy the Lord. When you think of the segments of the Bible and you're reading, just want to give you a little snapshot again. Pause. Sammy. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, so I don't want to put the picture like, oh, so Sam is saying, hey, let's make sure we're not saying that you can't look at all to what God is going to do because God is going to restore all of creation. And that, but, I would, but yet you can look back because he's doing a lot. So I would actually say that the reason why you actually look back is because the way he restores all new creation is not by doing something in the future. He did it at the cross. You follow me? So, so I want to propose that the Bible doesn't teach that there's going to be a work that Jesus does, that the work of him, of him 
bringing in new creation and doing all the things that he's doing happen at the cross. And what's going to happen is that spiritual reality, us being kings and co-heirs, Satan being defeated, that right, 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 Satan isn't going to be defeated. He has been defeated. And so all the only difference is that God is doing some stuff because he still needs to bring about his glory. And the way he's going to do that is by allowing the saints to worship him through their suffering. Right. And also heaping, heaping on the unbeliever, the reality that you really don't love God. And so basically that's the way that's where we're at right now. So I would say physically, we might say things are going to happen in the future. But spiritually, the place we look isn't into second coming is at the cross and resurrection. I know that's a little messy, spiritual and physical, but that's what happened. You became a Christian. You're a physical dude or a physical woman, and then you became a Christian. You open yourself up to a supernatural spiritual realm, and now you're just playing ball and both of them trying to figure out how to do life. Right? And that's why it's crazy. That's why you're like, man, having, things are crazy, right? So, but good insight, Sam. Thanks, buddy. Now, you have Christ. Now, this is, this is kind of elementary in the sense that I didn't go through all the epistles and things of that sort. But just in a nutshell, here's your segments when you're reading. You have, you know, basically these books focusing in on the life of Christ, which are called the Gospels. Right? In those Gospels, you got what they call the synoptic Gospels because they kind of marry each other, mirror each other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you got your Johannine Gospel. You got church history, which is very important because a lot of times I, I want to propose to you guys— um, People get in a lot of trouble when you make Acts a doctrinal book. Acts isn't necessarily a doctrinal book. It's not where you form necessarily doctrine in the sense of you're going to get teachings, but it's not where you form the canonical doctrines. It's a historical book. There's an aim to to Acts. So you got to be very careful and know when to say, oh, doctrine was brought out of Acts here. Versus like he's trying to show you something and kind of a theme. Uh, then you have your church letters, right? In your church letters, you have so many. You have your, your Pauline epistles, your pastoral epistles. You have what they call your general uh, letters, epistles to the church, your Johannine epistles. Um, and I, I show this because um, we, we can't, I want to make sure that when you're reading in the Bible, specifically, I mean, Old Testament too, but the New Testament, because that's where we're going to be at for the next couple of years, is, is you have to make sure you're not thinking, I guess I've done this a lot, you can think of the Bible being um, chronological in its approach, right? But it's not. The Bible is written topically, okay? Right? And so, so for example, notice, I get to use this button. I've always wanted to use this button. So, notice Matthew is here. You got John, you got Mark, right? And where's Luke, guys? Luke right down here, right? But notice you have all these epistles written before these gospels, okay? So you can't, so you, you can't, like, so just remember that even as you think of Acts, uh, it's written by individuals who has, uh, there's, there's points they're trying to make. There's an agenda that they're trying to provide, right? And so that's the reason why Acts is produced, we're going to get to what that agenda is, but, but remember, they're, they're piecing together what is needed for whoever their audience is. So it's not like you're going to get, you, you, like when you read Acts, you're not getting the whole historical account of the church. You're getting what, what I would propose Luke wanted to write to you or to the person to accomplish the mission of what he wanted to share. Okay? So I just, we just need to know that. So when you think of even the, the, the Bible, it's very strategic of how they gathered the Gospels and epistles and the apocalyptic epistle literature, you know, all those things. I know it's a lot of stuff. You stay with me, guys. We've got to keep some. I'm just trying to just keep those lenses on. We're kind of walking around the first century, kind of figuring out a little bit what's going on. Um, so even uh, when you think of the oral, I mean, the oral tradition, I mean, you think, well, how is this written? Like, the oral tradition, these guys, <coughs> if there's any questions here, let me know. For a long time, they kind of, there's different reasons why the Gospels are way out in here. I mean, for, for a while, you know, these, uh, we, can't, we can't even imagine this, but their memories were amazing. Okay, I, I always say that to you guys. And they, they passed things along for a very long while with oral tradition. Because only very wealthy people could have papyrus and actually write certain things. 
Okay, and so the way people pass things down from the just in general was through oral uh, tradition, and actually they they're, they're perceiving that the reason why all of a sudden they started writing down the gospel, some of the gospel stories, is because at first they thought Jesus was coming back. All right, so they're like, "What do you mean, write them down? We about to we're going to heaven, praise them." So then. All the first century, all the all the, the first generation Christians started dying off, and you see this kind of remnants in, in Thessalonians, and they're kind of like, "What's up?" And so they wanted to make sure they had a, a clear account, and so all of a sudden you started seeing some of the gospels beginning uh, to be produced, and then we we can go into the how they got formed and all that, and that's kind of crazy. So, um, okay, so that's just a general framework of like general Bible when you're reading your Bible. But now let's ask ourselves, you're, you're in this day and age when this, this book is written, okay? What's going on in this day and age? I want to first start by helping us understand the powers that be, okay? So you remember in your high school, remember you talk about the Hellenized period, right? When everything became Greek, right? When basically if you, want, if, if you wanted to be somebody, you wanted to be a Greek, Right? And that's why even you think of, even in the gospel, you think of, of, of John, in John's gospel in chapter 3, uh, there's a man named Nicodemus, right? And, and one of the things in that story that the theologians love is how you had a, a Jewish boy that had a Greek name. Why? Because you, if you wanted to be somebody, right, if you felt like you wanted to be a part of the social elite, you would probably provide your son or your daughter with a Greek name because that meant he was somebody, because, because what happened was when Alexander the Great conquered all the basically known Roman world, I mean the known world at that time, and then the Romans began to continue to infiltrate and begin to basically push their rule all the way over to Britain, right? And then even down to all the way to North Africa, and then all the way down into Asia. Can you imagine? Like, they didn't have the stuff we have now. You've got to keep that in mind. Think about that. Think of how much land that is, how much power that is for people who had no cars, no bombs, can you imagine? They basically ruled the whole known world at the time, right? So, these, so, so basically, the, the Roman rule was huge. And so if you wanted to be somebody, you wanted to act like or get a, be a part of that culture, okay? And so that culture uh, meant it was, was about being a social elite. So that's what we're in right now. So that's why even when you look at the, uh, the Gospels or you look at the New Testament, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek, Right? Because everything now was about the Greek culture. It had infiltrated society, it had infiltrated all these different other uh, lands and cultures, and it began to take over. So that's what you're dealing with right now. You're dealing with a, 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 basically a conquered Mediterranean world, right? And then you got the Jews within that subset. Okay? So military expansion was crazy. Now, the cultural influence, you think of that. So. If you, you know, you look at the, uh, you look at cultural expansion, imperial rule. Uh, you think of in Acts, when we get, when we, as we go through the book, you'll, you'll hear guys, you know, these names, um, um, Excellent Festus, uh, oh, Excellent uh, Felix, these guys, right? So what, 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 what Rome would do, because they were so smart at this, they would conquer different lands, and instead of just conquering them and totally dismantling their culture, they realized that, that that could start revolts, right? They thought it'd be better to actually show, because there was, a, there was, some, there was some idol worship, we'll go into that in a moment, they would actually allow those different cultures to continue to exist in a subset, but they would exist under Roman rule. Okay, so that's what you got going on there. Those guys weren't emperors, they were governors in Judea, right, watching over, right, that area. Right? And they despise anyone who kind of rose up and said that there is actually a real God because in their mind, Caesar was God. So now you can see how Jesus probably doesn't make a lot of sense to people, how that kind of can get people frustrated when you start saying, no, Jesus is king, not Caesar. And you can see what, that can, what they'll do to you when you start saying stuff like that, right? So they, they administer great cultural and political influence. Uh, you even think of integration. The way they would integrate uh, individuals, the way they would do this is, is these individuals would go out, conquer these lands. Uh, the different militaries would go out and conquer the lands. And then what they would do is they would take the different people uh, who were in the armies. And when they would retire, they were promised them the land of the different places that they conquered. Okay? And the reason why they did that is they would give them land so that you can put the different Roman citizens, the different Greek citizens within those different lands so that they could begin to, pr- to push the culture right, of the Greeks. 
right? So now they're in those different lands. They're living there, and now they start saying, no, this is what's cool. This is how we do things. And all of a sudden, you begin to allow those very people groups to take your cues. And that's what we're going to see all throughout Acts, and that's what Paul's going to be battling a lot of. One thing I talked about a while ago, I forget what, what we were talking about in Proverbs, but the whole issue of public works. If you, go, if you go to antiquity and look at your history books and you go back to think about high school, I keep saying that because I didn't listen much, but I, I remember some of the stuff in high school too. They would talk a lot about how amaz- what, what, what made Rome, uh, Rome so amazing is how they, you, you've heard those all roads lead to Rome, those kind of sayings. The reason why they talk about that is because no one designed public works like the Romans. Like, they, they, they are the ones, I mean, they were like dirty, messed up roads, but these guys made nice roads, and you could actually have travel, which actually you can now begin to build commerce. They're like the first peoples to do these things, okay? And so in essence, and also what they would do is they, they, they had a great way of, if you, were in, if you were within the Roman enclave, you just felt like everything was safe, right? But you didn't know that they were just treating people horribly outside of it. So they had a great way of, of almost ushering in this sense of propagandization, Right? They would have such propaganda where you would think one thing about the Romans, but, you would, but the reality was very different. And so they would use all these, all these cool things that they were building, all this new, you know, to, to even go to, um, for heaven's sake, if, you, if you've been to Rome, I mean, you go to Rome, you, you, you're blown away at how the architecture, some of the stuff still standing because of the things that they used to build back then. It was unbelievable. I bring that up because it hits to the whole Caesar religion. So basically, Caesar saw himself as Lord and Savior, right? And he had taught the people to see him as Lord and Savior as well. Right? And so this is, this is where the, 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 the Jews are at. This is where the people who you read about, who they see Jesus rise from the dead, and they're in this upper room, they're in this culture, Right, where they got governors upon them, they're trying to be healthy, good Jews, but at the same time, they are being suppressed by Roman rule. But suppressed, suppressed by a king who said, hey, you can have your culture, do that, that's great, but man, you guys really frustrate me, you Jews, and also this Christian way, because you guys keep talking about a God that's not me. Now, what was going on, that's outside, what was going on with these whole Jews and Christians? Just in a nutshell, to make sure we're on the same page, so as we're reading the scriptures and, and talking about the text, the first thing, we see affirmation of the Jewish ethnic identity. Okay, these are some of the agreements that they had, and here's some disagreements. I mean, you've got to keep in mind, uh, Jesus was a Jewish person, right? Apostles are all Jewish, Okay. And basically, uh, in the beginning stages of the growth of Christianity, most of the people were actually Jewish. Okay? So, so, there, so it's just like, I just want to make sure we don't, again, we, we can get ourselves caught up and actually think that the day Jesus came, you know, came on scene, he started ministering to the Gentiles, and basically it was just like, it was this huge melting pot. It was kind of, but actually it was really infiltrated by all the Jews, and then a lot of denial. But I want to say that to say we got to have a great respect for, for uh, how the Jews actually were super celebrated, by the way, the Christians in the first century. Okay? That was their culture, which shows itself through how they connected and how they celebrated uh, some of their religious customs. In particular, you can write this address down in Acts 13. Uh, you see that very clearly, verse actually 32. You can write that down and, and check that out, and you see an example of how they were celebrating cultures, um, celebrating customs. And you see that with Jesus. I mean, Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, he's, he's celebrating a lot of the Jewish customs, trying to help them understand that I come to fulfill something, right, not necessarily replace. That's very important to understand so that we can have a healthy understanding as we're reading through uh, Acts together. And you'll, and you'll see throughout the, you'll see throughout the text that uh, they respected their Jewish leaders, right? They just didn't say, hey, look, I serve Jesus. Forget what you're saying. They respected their Jewish leaders unless they asked them to, do, to disobey Yahweh. Okay? Now, obviously, we, we, we are here as, uh, uh, as Christians today because there's clear disagreements about who Jesus is, right? I mean, the, the, the hardest thing for um, uh, a Jewish person to really grasp and, and, and grab hold of is the reality that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the messianic hope, 
is that the one who is a savior, who is the rescuer, uh, is Jesus. And so uh, that's obviously our disagreement in that, in that, um, that, that the ethnicity as being a Jew uh, is, not of the, uh, is not of the utmost importance, but is those who are spiritually Israel, as it were, those who are born of the spirit uh, that have interest into the kingdom of God. And so uh, I think that one of the big, big roadblocks was that whole ethnic identity, the very identity that you want to celebrate because God has used that is the very thing that people were idolizing and it hindered them from entering into the kingdom. And in that, you know, there's obviously a, a, a different interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures in that way. The, uh, the very clear things that we see uh, that really talk about the Messianic hope being fulfilled in Christ our Lord uh, is seen as wanting for many uh, Jews in antiquity. And then finally, the view of the Gentiles uh, and you'll see this, even, even you'll see Peter struggle with this as well, is there's this uh, uh, a very s- serious chasm of how you view God's creation, right? The Jews saw themselves as elite. They saw the Gentiles as you, you don't fellowship with them. In fact, you had many Gentiles believe uh, individuals actually want to serve Yahweh. And what they would do, they wouldn't even usher them into the, into the family of God. They would call them God-fearers. Yo, you fear, you fear our God. That's cool. And they would take them through a rigorous process to be a proselyte, which means that now you can be part of this family of God. But they were always treated as a second-class citizen. So we would say the very, that's the, the, one of the very reasons why Jesus came to die on the cross was to say, no, I actually died uh, for everyone because I created everybody. And for those who, who know me and love me can have entrance, not your ethnic identity. That's not the focus. That's the culture that these guys are in. This is what's going on in Acts, guys. Now, uh, let's talk about When does this take place? Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's different... I mean, this is around the scope of 36 to 63 AD is when this is happening. Many different Roman emperors during the time. Uh, <coughs> it was written in around uh, the early 60s is what uh, people are basically uh, confirming in a nutshell, I would say early 60s. Now, what's interesting is that this wasn't always two volumes. Actually, uh, first thing, I don't know if you, if you realize that, that this is actually two volumes of one work. Actually, turn with me and, uh, to Luke 1. Okay, Luke chapter 1. And look how he starts. It says, verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken... Uh, to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, uh, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, uh, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Okay? And then if you turn to Acts chapter 1, He's continuing on before they made him two. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay? And so uh, historically, uh, these books were actually one, the history of Christ and the history of the church. Uh, I mean, there's different even uh, titles. Uh, one was the gospel of the Holy Ghost and the gospel of the resurrection. Um, but whatever, what happened was, as time went on, uh, they, began to step, they began to take, basically, Luke's gospel and take it out of, of the one whole canon, and they placed it with the four gospels and it almost left Acts to have to find kind of like its career of its own kind of deal. And then it found itself being a part of uh, the, the epistles. Uh, and I was interesting, just want to encourage you guys, uh, I love that, uh, that gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles make up almost half, I think almost half of the New Testament which I think is awesome because Luke is a Greek writer. He's not a Jewish person. So I think it's interesting uh, that the Lord would allow uh, the major author of the Bible in the New Testament to be uh, not a Jewish person. Very interesting. I think that speaks to the redemptive character of what God was trying to do in the world.
Let's talk a little bit about old Luke here. Um, in Colossians 4.14, uh, you can turn there real quick. He says, just, um, I love that uh, Paul calls Luke the beloved physician. He says, you know, in beloved Luke greets you. Uh, this love, you can tell that there's, a, there's an unbelievable relationship uh, between Paul and Luke. And it's, it's um, I think it's thought that basically Paul led Luke to Jesus um, in Antioch, okay? And then basically Paul super influenced Luke in his, in his writings. So basically a lot of Luke's accounts, because remember, Luke was not an eyewitness uh, uh, to, to Jesus, okay? Um, he is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament, which I think is awesome, which he's the only one, and is the, the, the biggest writer in the New Testament. Um, but, what's, but what's very interesting is you see uh, a relationship, Luke being a doctor, and I love, uh, John Piper talks a lot about, man, he, he said, um, I love the fact that we see uh, this doctor not just be concerned about mending people and making bucks. <laughs> and um, and, I, and I, I just want to affirm people in our body, I feel like we have doctors who model that. Uh, you guys are, like a lot of people in the medical profession, uh, not, not just concerned with many people making bucks, but really uh, wanting to be about uh, gospel proclamation. That's what we see with Luke. Uh, the reality is when you look at his story, again, first century Jew glasses, you're walking around. Notice, remember, these guys are in history. Notice what he says in some of these different passages. Let me just read a few to you. Second Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 24. The scriptures read, This is Paul talking. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. He talks about all his his craziness, right? Um, And then you see in in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look what he said. Look what the scriptures say. It says, I just love this this little piece here. Um, he's talking about all the people who d- deserted him, right? Demons deserted me, it says in the scriptures. You know, he's going to, d- to Galatia. Uh, Titus is to Dalmatia. He says, but Luke alone is with me. And uh, there's this picture that you'll see uh, throughout scripture. Uh, when this guy's getting beaten down, you imagine he's getting beaten down. Who, who do you think took care of him? Why do, why do you think he, he went on these missionary journeys with him? Why do you think he talks about him being a physician? This is a book in history, guys. He took care of Paul. When he was laying dirty on the road, his flesh open, right? You got to understand, Paul almost died during these times. People were supposed to die from the very things he got beaten by. How do you think he got up? Who cared for him? It's probably Luke. The historians, and all, the historians all, 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 almost agree that it's probably clearly Luke. So they had a very uh, awesome relationship. And he went with Paul on these missionary journeys. He was trained by Paul, probably came to Christ through Paul and began to serve the gospel. This is the cultural context. Um, he writes, like, why, what, what's the audience here? I would say first and foremost, he's writing to, to Greeks. So that's very, that's very important, right? He's not writing necessarily to the Jewish people because he, he tells this to OX and Theophilus, right? That's a Greek name, uh, right? God of love. You know, some of you guys are taking Greek. You got your genitive there, right? Theos, right? Phileo. So specifically, Theophilus, a friend of Luke and a Roman official, uh, is pretty much agreed that this guy is probably a higher ranking in the government uh, because the very same words he's using with this guy, he only uses twice in Acts, and he uses it with Felix and Festus. So he's writing to, to Greeks, which matters, because he's trying to, uh, uh, to talk about certain things, and I want to look at a key phrase uh, when you think of the purpose. What is he writing? What's the purpose? This is a key phrase I want to encourage all of us to memorize. 
Uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So there's some things. He's writing to Theophilus. He's writing to these Greeks, and he's trying to communicate something. His letter is going around. He's first trying to make sure that uh, he, they see a bridge uh, to the gospel and the epistles, okay? Uh, and how do we do that? By, by providing um, uh, uh, basically an accurate historical account of the early church. So that's one of the biggies. He wanted to provide for Theophilus, like, man, look, you've been hearing things. See, the reality is that probably Theophilus was hearing things to the negative, right? There was stuff that he was trying to clear up with Theophilus. He's like, you've been hearing things. Let me give you a clear, accurate account of what actually happened. And I want to encourage you on on what some of the lies probably were as we continue on. Uh, First, he wanted to strengthen Theophilus in his belief in Jesus, okay? So when you look at Luke, (coughs) notice... (coughs) You know what? Let me just go on and, and not, notice something when you look at this list. I want you to ask yourself, what's interesting about this list? Okay? Notice this list. He, he wants to make something clear about the resurrection of Jesus being key to salvation, right? He wants to make clear the coming and activity of the Holy Spirit. I'm a, I'm a, he wants to make clear a reality of prayer. What do you notice about this list? To me, it seems interesting that, that to a Gentile audience, he's talking about a lot of supernatural things. I would think he would tone it down a little bit. Right? Because these aren't, these aren't Jews necessarily that, he's, that they're going after. This isn't a Jewish guy who, who has all the history of understanding what, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and what, what prayer does and they, they don't even have that context, but yet it is chock full. Acts, that's, they almost started calling it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the, the book, because it's so chock full of what the Holy Spirit is doing, a supernatural posture that comes out of Acts. This whole concept of the resurrection, understanding that a dead man rose is, is key to the book of Acts. Right? I think that's interesting. To a Gentile, he's that basically the, the, the context of the supernatural. He's like, Theophilus, I got to just be honest with you. Let me, let, me, let me not pull any punches. Let me help you understand something. The resurrection, it's real. Let's be clear about that. Here's what happened. Here's the historical accounts. Here's what's happening in us. Let me show you why it's real. These guys, one of the, one of the rumors probably was, man, they're trying to usurp the government. These crazy Christians are all over the place. They're causing havoc. No, 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 we're not causing havoc. People are, are beginning to walk with this risen Savior, Jesus. Let me tell you what happened. Let me show you. Look how they're treating the magistrates. They're being kind. So you're going to see this posture of, of Theophilus getting word and getting news from Acts that, no, they treated the people who were power with great kindness. They obeyed, but then they graciously disobeyed when they talked against Yahweh. That's the context. He's trying to show them this isn't a crazy movement that's just rebellions. These are people who are in love with the true king. He's trying to make it clear. The acts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see tons of that. Of seeing that our Lord, you guys right now, have the very power that rose Jesus from the dead living in you. And then what does that mean? He's trying to bring these Greeks to that realization that guess what? You're not begging at the table. By God's grace, you belong there now. You see the difference? He's trying to show them that all the things that the Jews knew that they had coming to them because of their messianic hope has been revealed in Christ, and you now have those two as co-heirs. He's trying to make that clear. So you're going to see that theme throughout the scriptures as we go through them, guys. There's a... He's trying to really validate. You'll see this. You'll... The reason why there's a lot of airplay with Paul and Peter, actually Peter's on the scene to show how God blesses the church, how he uses Peter. And then all of a sudden, Peter falls off the scene, like at Acts 12 kind of deal. You know, and then it's, it's this Paul validating. Isn't that interesting? Who's the book to? Theophilus. Theophilus the Gentile, right? What's most of the book about? Gentile inclusion. You see that? Right? But you can't just start with Gentile inclusion because that's not, that's not the real narrative. 
The narrative is that the Gentiles are included in a Judaistic history. So you, got, you, you, you show and you celebrate and you recognize and you respect all that God is doing through our patriarchs and our matriarchs. But then he has to point to something that's drastically, radically different in the mindset of both Jews and Greeks alike. And that is, wow, the God of the Jews is the God of the whole world. And I can have fellowship with that Lord. You see that? So that's what's happening. So he valid, he's validating through the wonders and works of the Lord, Paul's ministry. We'll see that. Just giving you the different purposes of what, of what is being attempted by Luke, guys. Gentile inclusion. And that's why you see this. You see that, right? He, he started Judea. And you, and you see it goes to Samaria. Then the uttermost parts of the world. That's the, that's the whole movement of the book. The movement of the book is that, man, the God of the Jews is being unleashed everywhere because he's the God of Everyone. So we talked about the advance of Christianity. He's trying to show it. He wants to show the advance of Christianity and show, man, this is no farce. These guys, these guys aren't rebellious, but it's true. And you know what? When a true king comes to take over, it's going to get a little messy. And then very interesting, women are, are um, emphasized tons in Acts. Because he's, he's continually trying to show, and he's trying to change the mindset of people of understanding the difference between us being created in essence, right, and role distinction. That no, you do not, the women do not get a back seat because they are image bearers just like everybody else. And so you see women in this, in this book totally advancing what God is doing. And without some of these women, who knows what will happen? There's some wealthy, very influential women who were funding the ministry. All right? People came to Christ because of these ladies. And so Paul was making, he was, they're trying to show that. Luke is showing that. And tons of Old Testament references. I always talk about our body understanding that you're not going to find a concept in our New Testament canon that you won't find remnants of in the Old Testament. There's very few things that are just made up anew in the New Testament, guys. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be conservative there. I can't think of one. Everything flows from what God has been doing, and it's a fabric of theology. So be very weary as you go wherever you go, when people say, no, I got this new insight, and this new thing happened in the New Testament, never been seen before. That, 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 that goes against uh, orthodoxy at some level. That's why you're going to see a lot of Old Testament texts, because what Paul and Peter are trying to do is show how it's connected. Um, all this will happen within these first, I mean, these three missionary trips and right before. So you have these uh, missionary journeys. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of these uh, Paul's missionary journeys. There's three major ones that he went on. And uh, you have this guy going 13,000 miles, guys. Man, I'm just trying to figure out, to help y'all. I always want to have God to zap us all and put us in the first century and say, I want, y'all don't come back here until y'all do 13,000 miles and preach the gospel. And to see... Do you, can you imagine, how far, how far is it from like Boston to Cali? Right? About four, three, 4,000 miles? This dude went from Boston to Cali with no Honda three times. Are you kidding? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just, I just, again, I want us to understand this is in history. Men and women did this in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're talking about a life that said nothing else matters but Jesus. Nothing else matters. He's getting beaten. He's getting, you know, he's, in, he's almost dying on the boats. Think about that, guys. And it's not just him. There's tons of people who we don't even know about who are proclaiming the gospel and expanding God's kingdom. But think about that. 13,000 miles of kingdom proclamation. You've got to be kidding me. In the, in, the, in the beginning centuries, they had no mode, basically, of transportation. Unbelievable. So uh, you, can, you can write those addresses down and know all the different missionary journeys here. Um, you can see some of this stuff here. Uh, basically, you know, in a nutshell, uh, he go in the beginning stages, 
uh, the gospel's being proclaimed. Uh, they're preaching it in synagogues. They get a lot of rejections. We see that uh, in the scriptures. Uh, then they begin to do Gentile inclusion, begin to preach the gospel uh, to Gentiles. He does his uh, missionary journey, goes, um, uh, basically goes and basically plants churches. And then in the second missionary journey, he goes and revisits some of those churches and adds uh, to them. During this whole process, um, I'm, I'm blown away. One thing I want you to look at, and then we're going to go home, is how a lot in Acts, well, a couple times in Acts, uh, missionaries start to proclaim the gospel and missions happen because of conflict, right? There's persecution in the church in the beginning of Acts. Everybody scatters, and actually that's how people start coming to Christ, and that's how the gospel got spread it. Then even here, during Paul's missionary journey, uh, he's hanging with Barnabas. Uh, there's some sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Luke and all, and, 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 and Paul. And so what happens is actually by that, that was those sharp disagreement, God actually builds two missionary teams. And so then actually Paul, uh, uh, he goes with Luke, I believe. Um, I'm sorry, with Timothy. And then uh, Barnabas goes with Mark, Right? This is, you'll, you'll see this in, in the scriptures. I think it's hilarious. So you got Barnabas and Mark. I'm sorry, you got Paul and Silas, and they go to Asia Minor. And then actually, remember in the scriptures where the Holy Spirit redirects them? They're going, to, they're, going, they're going to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to go somewhere else. And then they actually go to Greece, and then the gospel goes to Europe. It goes to Europe not on purpose. But God's grace, right? They're going one way. God said, no, actually, I want you to go this way. Unbelievable. So your different missionary journeys. <clears throat> this road uh, back to Rome, right? Because what, now, what, now just think about that. He, he's preaching the gospel in all these different places, and, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to just saturate the whole known world. And guess how it concludes, right? It concludes in the pinnacle of where the power is in Rome, right? Isn't that cool? And he gets... Uh, both Luke and Paul die martyrdom deaths and get killed for Jesus. It's like, it's just cool. It's almost like going over to the United States, you know, and, and you say, well, we're going to end this thing, baby. We're going to go down and fight. We're going to D.C. You know what I'm saying? On the Capitol building. What's up? You know, that's, that's a beautiful picture of just men saying, whatever, we're going to be about the kingdom, you know? So, a um, lot of information, um, although some academic, I wanted, uh, that's all we got for today. I wanted to get us right, take all that information, get your slides, look at, look it over, look it over Monday so that we can process in our MAC groups. If you are a visitor and you're coming, I want to encourage you to keep coming and, and, uh, and, and go through this journey with us through Acts and see what the Lord does. Um, I want to encourage you, we're going to be hitting uh, Acts chapter 1. And start going into the text next week. Uh, I want to encourage you to read chapter 1 at least. But I also want to encourage you to, to, to read chunks. I would encourage you for the next couple of years, man, read Acts maybe like five to ten times. Continue to read through and get familiar with the text. When I study a book of the Bible, when I teach a, bi- a book of the Bible, I try to read it before I begin to teach to you at least 13 to 15 times so that I can have the story. The Holy Spirit has allowed the story to just be in you. Now, I get it. I get paid to do this. But try to find, carve out some time to be just getting familiar with the story of God, okay, um, and reading and rereading. Uh, a lot of information. I'm praying that the Lord will use it uh, to help us be thinking like a first century Jew and not a 21st century Christian uh, necessarily so that we can take that information and see God use it in our day and age and in our cultural context. Let me pray for us. Uh, Tithe and offerings coming right now.